0: Good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's Craig. It's wonderful to have you along. Let me pray for us as we look at that together. Uh, dear God, thank you for these words of yours, and we ask you to help us understand them and shape our lives by them this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, it is, it's a pretty nice day out there. Um, if you haven't been aware, just look out the window. It's beautiful outside. It's a, quite a nice time of the year in general. I do quite like spring. November's a great month, and a special something happens every November. Uh, Something beautiful happens in the streets around us. It's everywhere you look. What is it? The jacarandas are in full bloom. And uh, it means that if you are someone who has a social media account, you need to make sure you promote yourself with the jacarandas in the background. Highly essential thing to do in November, wouldn't you say? Uh, Yes, no? No. Uh, well, uh, as you are aware, the Jacarandas are out, and uh, if you own purple clothing, apparently that's quite important to wear uh, when you get a photo of yourself with the Jacarandas in the background. The residents of MacDougall Street in Kirribilli are a bit upset, though, because there have been quite a few people who, let's call them social media influencers, who've been out and about getting photos on their street with the Jacarandas in bloom. There's uh, quite a few Jacarandas on that particular road, and uh, they they do paint a nice backdrop, but... It interferes with the traffic somewhat when there's that many people out there getting their photo. Has anyone um, got their photo with a jacaranda this year so far? No one's been there. I, I made a faux part earlier. I was talking about this and someone said, yes, I went to that street. I'm like, ooh, okay. Luckily, they didn't have a social media account of any kind, so it was okay. But, um, but it is nice. It's a nice thing to do. But as you can see by the number of people, the traffic gets impacted slightly and the residents are not all that keen about it. Um, now, I, I, I guess some people would do anything to get the right shot, wouldn't they? You know, you've got to get the right pose. Um, Larissa was down at um, Oatley Baths recently um, hanging out with a friend. Sun was setting, and, um, and there's these people trying to get the perfect photo. They'd been doing so for quite some time, but they couldn't get a photo of themselves with the sun going down. In desperation, they turned to them and say, Can you please take a photo? We can't get the tripod to work properly. So Larissa took the photo. Um, it was of themselves kissing with the sun setting behind them so they could announce their engagement to all their friends the right way on social media, they said. Now, it made me curious, because social media is a funny thing, isn't it? Um, People have to get the right picture of themselves to put on social media to portray themselves in the right way to impress the crowd out there. And there's a lot of good things about it, but maybe one of the downsides to it is that it it can become a place to go and seek comfort when you're feeling down about life. It can be a place you go to to seek affirmation from others when you feel like life's not going so well in the real world. Um, although that's probably the real world too, but you get what I'm saying. And you can see how that can be helpful at times, but at other times it can be slightly unhelpful because you can spend, you know, we've heard the, we've heard the stories about people getting trolled on social media. They, they put out something they want affirmation for and everyone says, that looks stupid. You've got purple pants and there's purple jacarandas behind you. They make fun of you in sermons at church. It's not good, is it? Okay, I'll apologize to all the social media people out there, but, um, but you can see the downside to it, can't you? And people get, they, they go there seeking affirmation without stating that, but that's what they're doing, and they don't get it. And they're left, fil- they're left feeling unfulfilled, and maybe they don't get why, and, and they're frustrated. There's got to be a better way, doesn't there? Where do we look in life to find approval and affirmation? Is it from others? Is it on social media? Where do we look? Um, as Alex has told us, we are beginning a new series today in 2 Corinthians, and we learned a few things about where it is. It was a very diverse city, and I was trying to think about how to explain the the way the city was, and I read a book, and some guy explained it better than I could, so I stole his line. He said that um, visiting Singapore made him think of Corinth, because you go to Singapore, and you have uh, colonial architecture from sort of the British colonial times there. Um, And then you turn the corner, and there's these Um, great uh, hawker centers where there's Asian food of every kind available. It's very American with the big banking towers and at the same time, very Chinese with the merlin in the center of the city. He says that Singapore is this fusion of East and West, old and new coming together. And that is what Corinth is like in the first century. Corinth is an ancient city, an ancient Greek city, as you saw the location there. Um, It's built around Greek knowledge and sophistication And then Julius Caesar comes along and he says, this is Rome's now, we've got you. And they become a Roman style city. And so he sends in a bunch of um, farmers and says, you can settle there, free farmers. He says, you've earned your right to be Roman freedmen, you can settle. He also says to some retired soldiers, well done, you get a place in Corinth as well. And then a bit later on, another emperor says, I don't like the Jews in Rome, get out, go and live in Corinth instead. And so there's this melting pot of cultures coming together. You've got the Greeks, the old Greek ways. You've got the new modern Roman ways. There's trade. Everyone's thriving. Everyone looks good. And then you've got the Jewish sector coming in as well. The exiles. It's a city where you've got to impress others. Deeply ingrained in their society was the need to impress others, put your best foot forward, and paint a good picture of yourself. And the church in Corinth is very much caught up in this culture. We see, uh, if you read the books of one or two Corinthians, you'll see they've got internal troubles, which is a bit unsurprising. They're saying, you know, who should we follow? Who's the right leader? Who's the fanciest speaker? Rhetoric played a big part in their culture. And if we're going to understand um, the history of the city, we're going to understand better what we read in two Corinthians. We're going to understand why Paul was driven crazy by them and loved them at the same time. Okay? Um, the issues of the church in 2 Corinthians take up more of the New Testament than any other church in well in the Bible, frankly. Um, and, and we see we're going to see as we go through it. There's a battle for the hearts and minds of people. Who are they trying to impress? Who do they want to get on the right side of? And as we read it, we probably should say to ourselves, you know what? We might not be in Corinth or Singapore, but I guess Sydney's not that far off, is it? You know, it's uh, we're in a, a world, a city, a suburb where. People are seeking affirmation from others and at the same time trying to impress others and put their best foot forward in so many different spheres of life. And so we should ask ourselves, where do I look to find approval and affirmation in life? Crucial question to have before you as we look at 2 Corinthians. So if you've got it uh, handy there, if you brought your, if you like me and you bring a big Bible along, have that out, or if you've got it on your phone, have that out there as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll look at the first 11 verses. Um, if you don't have an app on your Bible, BibleGateway.com, we'll get to there. Um, and, and we see the first little part there of 2 Corinthians. Paul starts off, much like any other letter um, of that time, he says, who writes it? And you see what he says there? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Um, fairly standard introduction for Paul, but the, the, the little, there's a nuance in what follows, which makes a huge point for the Corinthian church. See, in verse 2, he says, to the church of God, sorry, second half of verse one, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who, who are in the whole of Achaia. Whose church is it? The church of God. It's God's church. And who's, who are the people who they belong to? They belong to God. Verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace It's God's gift of salvation for them. They find peace with God, and become part of God's people under God's rule. And more than that, at the very start of verse one, who's Paul? He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so, what he's setting up for them at the start here, because they're having issues in their church, they're having conflicts and 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 fights about who, who's better and all this sort of thing. They want to impress others. They want to be impressive in their church. Paul's saying, "Hang on, let's think about this here. You belong to God. That's the first thing to remember. You're not your own. You're God's. Second thing to remember." is that your church is God's church. It's not about you. It's about God. All right? And the third thing is, Paul, the great apostle, no, no, he says I'm God's as well. Your church leaders are God's. Everyone belongs to God. It's not yours. It's God's. And it's the same for us in church today, right? Same thing. We're not our own. We belong to God. Our church belongs to God. Our church leaders belong to God. That's the way it goes. That's the way it's always been. And it means that we're not here to do what we think is best. We're here to do what God thinks is best. Now, um, during the week, um, we were doing our little uh, dinner time reading, family devotion, and we read the first few verses of Acts. And uh, in those verses, um, the apostles are there and Jesus is saying, you know, okay, go and take the good news out to the world. And then he goes off up into heaven. And what do they do as he goes? Does anyone know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're all standing there. He's like, okay, uh, I'm going to go now. You all go do what you're supposed to do. And he floats up into the, behind the clouds and they're all like... When you reckon Peter, is he coming back soon? Or no, John, We we'll just keep watching. And they're just standing, and suddenly what happens? Two angels come behind them and are like, What are you doing? I think that's their literal words. What are you doing? All right? Because they're not supposed to stand around gazing up in the sky. We might say navel gazing. Same sort of thing, though, right? It's, it's not what they're here to do. Um, Jesus said to them, He made it clear, re- reaffirmed their mission go and tell the world of God's love. It's not about your own comfort. It's not about. It's not about doing the things that might make you happy. But we, we actually live in a world that seems to be a bit about our own pleasure. And we see it uh, all too often in the leaders of the world as well. We see leaders who are on about their own agenda. Um, I'll go back in time a bit. I won't name any modern leaders, although I'm sure you could make a case for pretty much any world leader. But here's Ferdinand Marcos, who's the president of the Philippines between 1965 and 1986 a decorated World War II hero with 27 medals. Is that right? Well, that's what he said. Mavis is giving the old. No, I'm not sure. Yeah, it was actually three. But okay, um, sorry, he lied about that. Uh, but during his time in power, he declared martial law in the Philippines and he increased the borrowing of the country from 360 million to a total of $28 billion, okay? Which you might think would be good if they're doing projects and things and making more employment, but wages went down by a third across the country. Meanwhile, his own personal wealth went up quite considerably because he embezzled between 5 and $10 billion before fleeing. Corruption of power in leaders. We hate it, don't we? It's bad news, and rightly so. But sadly, that corruption of power even finds its way into churches. Church leaders have been found guilty of corruption. Some have embezzled funds, true, but others have just made themselves look good at the expense of their congregation. Maybe some of them do the job to make themselves feel better about life. I don't know. It's not everyone. Some. But if there's bad eggs, then we've got to let God set the agenda. And we've got to say, hang on, if if we're God's church, and if the leaders are God's leaders, what does God want us to do to get on with the agenda of what he left us to do? That's what he said. That's what we should do. I heard heard the story of a minister who... um, was facing the wrath of an irate parishioner after church. And uh, this lady screamed at him, you are destroying my church. To which he replied, perhaps insensitively, he said to her, well, it's not your church anyway. It's God's church. True, but not a way to stop a fight, I don't think. But um, it's true. It's God's church, isn't it? We're not here to seek approval and affirmation from those within or without, right? We're here to do what God would have us do, make and grow more disciples for him. Now, I don't know if anyone saw the news. I think it was on Friday morning. Did you see these scenes on the news on Friday morning? Does anyone know what they're from? Maybe it was yesterday morning. I've forgotten. I'll say Friday. You don't know what is. It doesn't matter. Does anyone know what these scenes are from? These are Victorians escaping Melbourne. They were allowed to leave Melbourne and go on a holiday in regional Victoria. And they did. There was great Great lines of traffic going out of the city, and uh, they were all leaving and fleeing to take up that freedom of a holiday. Now, the news of a vaccine is swirling around. Who missed out on a holiday this year? Anyone? Just me and maz Okay, a few of us. Okay. You missed out on going on your holiday that you couldn't go on. It's a shame, isn't it? But the good news is you're, you're probably, like me, starting to get sent emails about holidays that you can now have. Isn't that good news? And um, I received a rather interesting one the last couple of weeks. It was a tourist country, uh, a country where they're trying to ramp up their tourism again, the country being the Maldives. They quite rely on tourism. And they sent me a deal for an all-you-can-stay holiday. All you can stay. One year, all you can stay. If 2020 has been bad, in 2021, stay as much as you like in our overwater bungalows. How good would that be? All right. Yeah, I will do, John. I'll forward it to you. You'll see the price tag I'm about to mention. Uh, it was quite considerable. But, um, but, you know, in your overwater bungalow, you get spa treatments, you get cooking classes thrown in, there's water activities, and you can stay as often as you want in 2021. Sounds good, doesn't it? Who likes that idea? Anyone? Oh, thank goodness. I'm, I'm asking them at 8 o'clock, and they're like, Who likes that idea? No. <laughs> what? What's wrong with you people? So they wouldn't tell me what they thought was better, but um, anyway. Suffice to say that uh, you could throw meal packages on top of that, and so you could have an absolute, absolutely luxurious holiday with all the creature comforts included. Okay? The price tag, well, it was very big. I won't say it, but it was huge. Well out of my price range, but I'll forward you the email if you request, and you can see if it's in your price range. Um, but you can picture somebody who's had a really rough 2020, like most of us, who's thinking to themselves, you know what? I deserve all the creature comforts next year. I'm going to have that holiday in the Maldives for a year. That'll do me. That'll do me. Now, some of us say, some some people say that that's what the Christian life should be like. Okay, you join God's kingdom, and all the creature comforts come along for you. Everything should go well, because God's in charge. What could possibly go wrong? Well, we look at verses three to five, and if we think that way, it makes us scratch our head, because it uses a certain word quite a lot. Did you pick it up in the reading? Comfort. But if it's not about this beautiful comfort, then what's going on? Let me read it again for you. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You might say to yourself, what's going wrong in my Christian life then? Because I have hard times... And I don't feel as comforted as it seems to say here. Is Paul just trying to impress them, butter them up? Well, I think the key is uh, our ideas of comfort in an overwater bungalow in the Maldives doesn't quite match up with the way the word is used in the New Testament here. Uh, certainly, there is a, um, a connotation of contentment involved, um, but it's not the feeling of contentment that dulls all pain. Okay? That's not what it's actually getting on about here. It's actually about strengthening you and fortifying you in heart and mind and soul. It's about encouragement and help and rebuke and correction and exhortation. It's, it's all there, okay? As one writer puts it simply, he says, comfort, the word comfort in the New Testament is like an arm around your shoulders and a kick up your pants. There's good things and it shapes you as well, okay? What does John in his gospel call the, uh, the Holy Spirit? Come on, it should be obvious. The comforter, well done, well done. Come on, now now she said it. Does everyone else think, oh yeah, that was obvious. Is that, I should have known that. How did I not say it? Um, it's not like a doona that we snuggle under with a cup of coffee. That's not the comfort that we're thinking of here, okay? The Spirit is there to shape us and mold us and make us more like Christ. And as we think of that, these words here in verses 3 to 5 make more sense. There will be hard times we go through. That's part and parcel of living on planet Earth and of following jesus but as we share in difficulty for christ's sake we get shaped we get strengthened we get given resolve we find assurance in him and that's the reality of living for god on this side of heaven we face hard times god encourages us maybe through other people and then we encourage others rinse and repeat on and on and on until glory okay that's god's comfort now now you might think to yourself Oh, what would paul know about all this anyway Did he actually face any kind of hard times in life? I think it's fair to say he did. If you heard verses eight and onwards, he says, for we do not want you to be ignorant brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Okay, I think it's fair to say Paul faced some hard times. He despaired and felt like death itself, okay? Um, Now, it sounds like he's fairly down in the the dumps, or was down in the dumps, um, which many Australians relate to. I think one in five is the stat. One in five Australians experience mental illness in any given year. One in five. That's a huge number. And of the uh, mental illnesses out there, the most common are to do with depressive symptoms and anxiety, okay? So if you're someone who has those symptoms, I'm looking around the room. There's more than five of us. I'm I'm guessing some people here have struggled with it, particularly in a year like this year. Okay, what do we do with that? Am I no good because I've struggled with that? What do I do? You go and see someone, a specialist, and they might give you some medication or some breathing exercises, um, relaxation techniques, patterns to change your thinking, all of which are useful things. But in the end, those are all control strategies, which are about self-reliance. They're good, but there might be one key missing. And I think the key is the big thing. And Paul highlights it for us in verse nine. He says, but that was his despair, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, Paul realizes this is beyond my control. I can't deal with what I'm feeling at the moment. Despair to the point of death. I feel like it's all too much for me. I don't know where to go. And I realize that I can only cling to the cross, to God who raises the dead. Verse 10, he delivered us from this, from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. See, Paul's confidence is there, isn't it? I know I've got life beyond the grave coming. Somehow God's got me out of this rut that I was in here. And I know that glory is coming. Now, when someone like that is telling you about comfort, that's pretty huge, isn't it? When he's trying to encourage you, that is fairly significant. Because how would the Corinthians have seen Paul in this sophisticated city of sparkling rhetoric, of new and old cultures blending, of wonderful, wonderful things? How would they have viewed him, do you think? As a great success or as a depressive failure? It's all about the show. It's all about impressing others. Paul almost died and was anxious and despairing. Maybe in our life we feel a bit like Paul. I'm, I'm having a hard time. And maybe we wonder why. Why, God? Why are you putting me through this? Why should I have difficulty? It's not fair. Have I failed you, God? What could I do better? I deserve more. And we may never know why, but we have these words, don't we? That God has delivered us. We can cling to the cross and he will deliver us again. And actually that helps us deal with uh, the need to seek affirmation and approval from those around us. When you're feeling down, where do you go? To the Jacaranda Street over MacDougall Street over in Kirribilli. I'll get a shot there. I'll put it on social media and I'll get some likes. I, was, um, I visited a friend at hospital and um, they just had a baby. Okay. And uh, we walked in there and there's mom sitting there holding the baby. Not, not many hours old, and as we're walking in, there's dad on his phone, and this is what he says, as we're walking in, you know, hello might be what I thought you'd say, but he's like, oh good, we're starting to get some likes now for the pictures we posted. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that dreadful? I just thought, okay, good to see you, mate. Uh, you know, glad that's where it's all out here. Um, but it, it can become an addiction even, can't it? But there he is. Seeking, in a tough time in life, he was in, in a bit of a bad way, I think he was seeking approval and affirmation from the world out there. Not knowing that he had people walking in to see him just hours after his baby was born who we hadn't seen them for quite a while and we were looking forward to actually encouraging them. Where do we look to find affirmation, approval in life? Is it in, on social media? Is it in our peer group? Is it from those around us? Is it in our job? Where is it at? And where should we look to find affirmation and approval? Because what does God say to us? He says, I've given you the comforter. So now be shaped by him to live for me. I'll finish with a story. I was um, in my early 20s. I was uh, working, started a part-time job while I was studying. And um, I'd not been working there very long. And uh, they knew that one of my motives for working in this particular job was to save money so I could go to Bible college, right? So they knew I was a Christian. And we've gone out for dinner uh, with a group of people um, from this workplace. And we're sitting there having dinner, and the conversation got to the old chestnut of questioning God, making fun of God, and making fun of Christians, in particular a Christian that they knew. Many of them knew, okay? One particular Christian. They were having a bit of a, a go at him, and I'm just sitting there quietly. Okay, fine. And then they said this to me. They said to me, Oh, it's okay, Craig. Um, we wish that, there was, that he was a Christian like you good to hear, isn't it? Right? Because you don't say anything about it and, and you're no different. I'm like, oh, just let me sink under the table now. I've completely failed. Because, you know, it's great for them to say that you're no different. You're just the same as us. But for me, I'm thinking, no, but I'm different. I am. I'm, I'm saving my money to go to Bible college because I want to spend my life telling people about him and I haven't even told you about him because I don't say anything. What have I done? What have I become? So I got up and I preached my first sermon there in that pub. Having, no, I didn't do that. No. I didn't do that. I just felt bad and felt ashamed and thought, no, that's, that's not right, Craig. It's got to change your life in some way. Got to be, they've got to be able to see somehow that you're different. And we've got to remind ourselves, don't we, who do we belong to? We belong to God. Our church belongs to God. Our church leaders belong to God, which sets us free from seeking affirmation from the world around us. We are different. We don't need to seek affirmation from within or without. We need to do what God would have us do. We know what he's done for us in Christ, and we should take comfort in that. So let me pray that we will be ever shaped to be more like him. Father, we do thank you that you love us, that you show us grace in Jesus, which brings us peace with you, and that that beautiful peace, that wonderful eternal banquet of greatness awaits us. So help us now not to stand there gazing into the sky. Help us not to be seeking a cuddly doona for our comfort, but rather to be shaped by you in the good times and the bad. Help us hold fast to the cross knowing that you have delivered us and will deliver us and will come again. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.